You're listening to the Light for Living podcast, featuring the sermons of Emmanuel Baptist Church in El Dorado, Arkansas, where Dr. Clark Whitney serves as senior pastor. Join us for verse-by-verse messages through the life-changing Word of God. Along the way, we'll also feature devotional thoughts, Bible studies, and interviews, all designed to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Good morning. Wow. What a beautiful name it is. Amen. Um, who gets to do this? Have you ever thought about what an incredible privilege this is for us to be able to come together and to worship Him? Wow. And I'm just so thankful today um, for the opportunity to come here and be a part of your worship. And to worship, we're going to do this a lot. Amen? And it's going to be forever. But right now, we have this special privilege of knowing each other, being together, and then to serve Him here on this earth in a way and worship Him in a way that we will never be able to do again. You ever thought about that? We can worship Him now. You think, well, wait a minute. Now, in heaven, we're going to worship all the time. But there is a form of worship that once we get to heaven, we will not be able to do. When you're in heaven, who will you share Jesus with? Will there be any hopeless? Who will you be able to to run to with the words of life. There's not going to be any lost people in heaven. But right here, we have this opportunity to worship Him by sharing that wonderful name. Wow. I want to this morning, uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, God's Word says... 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Do you remember what you were? Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Aren't you glad? Amen? God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. Amen? It is because of Him that you were in Christ Jesus, 
who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Sometimes I think we forget what we were before Christ came in. My prayer today is that we would not forget because there's a whole world of people who were just like us, who had no hope, who have, they don't know what a beautiful name that is. Where would you be if Christ had not intervened directly into your life? I don't think you would be in here. Where would you be without him? And there's a whole world that is waiting. And we have this opportunity to carry the gospel, the good news, the name of Jesus Christ, the hope, the love, the forgiveness, the peace to a world that is hurting. And if we won't tell them, if we don't tell them, who will? Wow. Who gets to do this? My wife and I are missionaries. We've been urban missionaries in Memphis for over 30 years. And we ask ourselves that question all the time. Who gets to do this. Praise only to God. We do. What will happen if we don't tell them? What will happen to them personally, individually? What will happen to our world if we don't tell them? There's a good example of this, of what will happen if we don't tell them and this example is found way back in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, chapter 2, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but Judges, listen to this. Um, we all know about Joshua, right? And Joshua was chosen. How would you like to follow Moses, right? And he was chosen to take the children of Israel where? Into the promised land. Thank you. And wow, that was incredible. And he just did a fantastic job of doing that. And they saw literally all kinds, God just like miracle after miracle after miracle. Um, the walls of Jericho, right? All of those things, miracle. But, but listen to these verses. I think these might be some of the saddest verses in the scripture. Listen to this. Here's what happened. Joshua, this is... Chapter 2, Judges chapter 2, verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnaheres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaesh. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up 
who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord and the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal. Wow. What will happen if we don't tell them? Not only will they go to hell, right? But what will happen to our world if we don't take... And, you know, it's just, oh my goodness. We have to speak up. Isn't it time for us to speak up? What happened to Israel? How many, by the way, did you catch that? How many generations did it take? One. What is happening in the world around us? We have to tell them. Who gets to do this? We do. For such a time as this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, there is a world waiting for you. A lost world. And they won't know you unless we tell them. You have... Lord, it is all you. There's nothing we can do to save them. There's nothing we can do to change them. There's nothing we can do. But you have given us the words of life. You have allowed us to be a part of your plan. You have allowed us to worship you by laying our lives at the altar. And praying that we would be used up for you. To worship you in a way that we will never be able to worship again, to give our lives, to be used up for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We, uh, like I had told you, my wife and I are missionaries. We've been missionaries for a long time in Memphis. And... Uh, Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> if y'all would uh, pray for my wife, because, well, let me explain. Um, we've had, we, I'll back up. Uh, my wife and I have four grown children who are married, and they have children, so we have seven grandchildren, and um, which is, I, I don't know about, any grandparents in here, we got, raise your hand if you're a grandparent, all right, so y'all are going to appreciate this more than anybody, um, I saw a bumper sticker one time, and it says, um, having grandkids makes having kids worth it, <laughs> so anyway, so, uh, oh my goodness, so we've got seven grandkids, right, um, and but we've also been involved in doing foster care uh, for years and years and years. 
And we did that for years and have had dozens and dozens of foster children in our home and all of that. But after we had started having grandchildren, we decided to pull back on that foster care thing, right? And so because we wanted to focus our attention on who? The grandkids, right? And so uh, we pulled back on that. But let me tell you what happened. Um, we were doing emergency foster care. And so um, we would just take emergency cases on the weekend. Now, this was several years, about probably about six years ago. We, uh, we had decided just not to do foster care like that. We were just going to do this emergency foster care thing. And we got a telephone call. And um, it was on a Friday evening. And Department of Children's Services said, hey, we've got a sibling group of four. Now, what that means is there's four brothers and sisters. And it was a Friday evening. They had no... They just took them away from their parents, guys. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine, like, somebody coming into your home and taking you away from your parents? And so they said, we've got a sibling group of four. We have no place to put them. Would you guys take them for the weekend? A grandparent has said that she'll get them on Monday at court. So there had to be a hearing Monday morning. So... For the weekend? Yeah, we can handle that. I mean, uh, four kids. So anyhow, so here they come. They show up. It's about 6 or 7 o'clock in the evening, Friday evening. Here they come. All four of them. Reggie. Reggie was six. He was the oldest. Regina is Reggie. Regina, she's four. Rashad, Reggie, Regina, Rashad, he's also four. But guess what? They're not twins. They're ten months apart. So six, four, four, and then the littlest one, Regine. You can hear by the name. Regine, she's two. And she's the sassiest little two-year-old you've ever met in your life. And here come these kids. They're going crazy, right? And oh, my goodness. When they show up at our house, guess what? There's not even, you know, sometimes kids will arrive with a trash bag, got some stuffed toys and a few clothes and stuff like that. These kids, all four of them, guess what? They show up, guess what? Nothing. What are we going to do? We got to go to Walmart. Can you imagine two old people with four little tiny kids walking in the, do you think we caused a stir? I mean, the whole store was looking at us. Like, those folks are crazy. And sure enough, as soon as we walk in, we're trying to get them in the basket, you know, but you think they're going to get in a basket? They're not getting in a basket. They just, they knew that, they already knew they had us outnumbered, right? There's four of them, only two of us, and we're old and slow. So, I mean, they just say, boop, they just take off. We're going to, oh, no, come back. Whoever, Regina, whatever. Then we looked at each other and we said, ah, I know where we'll head them off. Guess where they're going? Let's go to toys. We go to toys and we corral them. Oh, my goodness, y'all. So, I got to fast forward. So, here we go. So we're supposed to go to court on Monday morning, go to court, court on Monday morning, and guess who does not show up? Grandma does not show up. 
They said, can you keep them for a few more days? We said, well, we, can, we only got a couple of days left because we a, 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 we've got a, a vacation planned. My wife and I were going to the beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We got a condo on the beach, and we're going to the beach. No kids. We've never been anywhere without kids, right? So we said, we could, y'all, well, guess what? We had to take them to the beach. It was the most awful, horrendous, terrible, beautiful, wonderful vacation of our lives. I can tell you, we drove from, Mer from Memphis to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, in a van with them four kids. You're either going to come out of that and go into a mental health facility <laughs> or you're going to fall in love. I don't know how you fall in love chasing kids around on a beach and trying to keep them from getting shark bit. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, we had them all four of them for over a year. And then an auntie comes forward and says, well, she was a single mom, had a little girl. She said, I'll take the girls, but I can't take the boys. We said, no, it's okay. We'll just keep them until y'all can find a permanent placement or they can be put back at home. Well, she said, no, I really want the little girls. We knew better by that point in our lives and foster care experience that you're not going to fight that because families are always going to win and that's, that should be that way. If you had something, then you would want them to come to family, right? But it broke our hearts. Can you imagine the day when they had to split them? But we offered to the, to the, to the auntie we told her, we said, now, we, we love the girls, and we would love to still be a part of their life, um, and they need to know their brothers. Would it be okay if we could be your support parents? And maybe every other weekend we could get the little girls, and they could come and stay with us so that they'll grow up knowing their brothers? She said, I'd love that. So every weekend, every other weekend, actually, every other weekend, we get the little girls. And that's been going on now for about six years. Five and a half. This last weekend? We had them the whole weekend because it was Martin Luther King Day. So we're going to get them three days. Then guess what? Y'all know what happened. <laughs> so school was out. Were y'all in school? Y'all were out of school, weren't you? School was out all week. So guess what? We got to keep all four of them together. It's too cold to go outside and play. We tried it, but they got frostbite. <laughs> we said, that's okay. Y'all stay out there a little longer. <laughs> 
So all that is why I said, would y'all pray for my wife? She's got all four of them right now holed up in our little house in Memphis. Wow. Who gets to do this? Well, that's enough about our, our family and our adventures. We had another adventure. This one occurred many, many years ago, and I got a call to come to preach uh, one Sunday morning for a church in the inner city urban area of Memphis. It's not inner city like in the downtown business district, but it's a very urban inner city type neighborhood. And uh, I thought I was going there. We thought we were going to have them kids for how long? One weekend. How long have we had them? Close to six years. Well, I went to this little church to preach one Sunday morning sermon. One. And how long have I been there? Over 30 years. Do y'all think God has a sense of humor? <laughs> and oh my goodness, you talking about just like an absolute culture shock. I walked into this little church in, 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 in Memphis, and it is August, it's hot. I walk in, and guess what? No air conditioning in the church. No air conditioning. Oh my goodness. What the world is going on here? They had windows that you could raise up and down, but somebody had nailed the windows shut. Why would you nail windows shut when it's 90 degrees outside? Hmm. Well, that little church, little tiny group of people, there's about a dozen people there, those, God used those people to change our lives. I tell folks that God used them to turn our lives upside down. I said that one time, and somebody said, No, Pastor Tim, it sounds like God used those folks to turn your life right side up. They thought that we were supposed to be helping people. I don't know where they got that idea. They thought that the church was supposed to do something about gangs and drugs and prostitution and children being molested and raped and all this kind of stuff going on. They thought they were supposed to, they would come to me and they say, we got to do something. We got to do something. And I'd tell them, I'd say, well, what are we going to do? You know, I, I wouldn't tell them that, but I'm thinking that, what are we going to do? And then, you know what we can do. We can pray. So I told them, I said, we'll pray. We'll pray for them, folks. But every time I'd show up, they had some story about somebody who'd been either, you know, violence or, or some kind of addiction, addiction problems. They, they knew these people. They knew. They would come to me and they'd tell me their names. Listen, I've been in Memphis all my adult life. I know Memphis is a hard place, right? There's crime and drugs and killing and murder. and I, I mean, uh, I already knew all that stuff, but... These folks, they would come and they would tell me their names. I never knew their names. And they'd say, we got to do something. Well, that went on for a while. Oh, my goodness. I told you they didn't have any air conditioning in the church. They just kept asking me to come back Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Wintertime came, guess what? No heat. And these folks, and the building was falling down, y'all. I'm talking about like there's water coming in the building, right? I told him, I said, why don't y'all just go and join another church? There's large churches around here. Guess what they said? Oh, no, we couldn't do that. I said, why not? They said, 
well, we just don't think we'd fit in over there. You see, it was just a small group of people, probably about a dozen folks, young people, they, were, they had tattoos and they had gauge in their ear. Y'all know what a gauge is? Gauge in their ears and all this kind of stuff. You see, what had happened was the church that was there for years and years and years, uh, the pastor had gotten out in the neighborhood and had started leading young people in the community to the Lord. And then the church had trouble and everybody, every, the pastor left and every, all the leadership left and all that was left was this little tiny group of brand new baby Christians. The oldest Christian as far as being a follower of Christ was concerned, he was about maybe four years. He was the senior saint. He was trying to lead this whole group. And they were telling me, we got to do this. Finally, one night, I'll never forget this, it was a cold winter night. It was raining outside, outside, and rain coming in the building. They got buckets out. Got a little space heater over here trying to get a little, little warmth going in there. It's a Wednesday night prayer service, and um, they started coming into the building. I remember this one lady, she walked in the back door, and I could tell as soon as she walked in, I knew something. Oh, no, she's, she's got something on her mind. And here, sure enough, here she comes straight for me. And she came up to me, and she said, Pastor, I said, yes, Janie, what is it? She said, Pastor, there's a family. And then she told me their names. She said, they've been put out. Do y'all know what being put out means? All their stuff had been put on the street. Everything they own, and it's raining outside. What happens in our neighborhood when people put all your stuff on the street? What do you think? Other folks come, and they just go through it. Because guess what? If it's on the street, guess what? You ain't got no place to put it. And she says, it's a mom and dad and three children. And she says, she gives me their names, and then she says, they're living in their van. And I said, oh, my goodness. Oh, I hate to hear that. I said, uh, well, um, tonight is prayer night, so hold on just a second. Let me get my pencil, and we'll put them on our prayer list tonight. And so I go and I get my pencil and I said, I looked at her and I said, now, now what are their names? Oh my goodness, y'all. She looked at me. I could see fire in her eyes. And then I saw her jaw start to clench up. And then her head started doing all it. I call it the wobble head. Y'all ever got, seen anybody get the wobble head on you? And she's doing all that. And then she says, we're through praying. Don't ever tell Brother Clark that you're through praying. She said, we're through praying. It's time to do something. Oh, my goodness. She was pointing her finger in my face. Made me so mad. I could feel my ears start getting hot. Do y'all's ears get hot when you get mad? My ears was getting hot, and then all of a sudden I felt my head start doing all this. We fit in a lockup right there. 3275 Rosemont Avenue, Memphis, Tennessee. It's fitting to go down right up in here. I walked away. Grace of God, I walked away. Calm myself down as much as I could, and I come back, and I said, I said, I need y'all to sit down. 
just a small group of people, and they all sat down. I said, listen here, y'all. I said, I think it's wonderful y'all want to help people, but guess what? We don't have, it would, it would take so much money to do all the stuff that y'all talking about doing. We can't, we don't, we can't do that. How would we do anything? We, we can't even keep, we hardly keep the lights on. It's the only bill they had. They didn't have heat. They couldn't pay me. I was working a full-time, I went back to work working a full-time job. I said, we just don't have it. We can't do anything. Young man, he had only been a believer about a year. He raised his hand. I said, what is it, Larry? He stood up and he said, Pastor, excuse me, but you really don't have to tell us that we don't have any money. Oh, my goodness. Shot to my heart. I've been in their homes. They were all living in poverty. There were rats, roaches. He said, you really don't have to tell us we don't have any money. And then he pointed up like that. And he looked up and he said, but our father does. And then he said, why can't we be on the front lines? And why can't God just send us some supplies? And if he'll send us the supplies, we'll retake this neighborhood for Jesus. I looked out there and every one of them, y'all, guess what their heads were doing? They were going, yeah, Larry. Yeah, that's right, Larry. I'm going like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. And then it hit me. Why don't I believe? I said, if y'all, if y'all believe that, y'all come down here and let's pray. Y'all know I had been there about six months at that point. And as far as I know, that was the first time I ever said, let's pray and actually meant it. And I wish you could have heard him pray. They all prayed out loud and they prayed different prayers, but they all centered around what Larry said. They said, Lord, we want to be on the front line. We'll just send some supplies. That was over 30 years ago. Do you think the Lord heard their prayer? Not only did he hear their prayer, but he's continuing to answer that prayer even to this day. I'm here today because he was answering that prayer. Because he sent you. We didn't need money. He doesn't need money. What did the Lord send us? The Lord sent us hearts. People who would say, yes, I want to sacrifice my life for you. Out of that has grown a lot of things, and I'll be quick with this. I could tell y'all a lot of stories, as you could imagine, but uh, 
we ended up starting a little school. Uh, we have all these groups that come from all over the nation, and they do backyard Bible clubs for us, and we'll have over 1,500 children in our neighborhood in Bible clubs every day, every day, all summer long, five weeks in the spring and all summer long. And then we started noticing that kids were living in tragic situations, and kids are living in drug houses. Do y'all know that kids live in drug houses? And, uh, oh, my goodness, it's terrible. we got drug houses on every street, right? And there's kids living in there. Now, every kid in our neighborhood doesn't live in a house like that, but a lot of them do. And the kids that are out on the street, oh, my goodness, we started realizing when we were doing all these Bible clubs, there are kids that, oh, my goodness, they're living in terrible situations. I remember there was this one little boy. His name was Terry. And uh, I saw Terry out on the street. We call kids like this street kids because... The little four-year-old, five-year-old, he's about four or five years old, and he just, just see him out in the street. Nobody watching him. What do you know about that? Especially y'all that have been to Memphis. You know that if there's a kid walking around, right, the neighborhood, and he, nobody with him, where does he live? He probably lives in a drug house, right? And so I told my wife about him. She said, Tim, go find out about him. So I, uh, I saw him on the street, and I drove up to, to him, and I was in my truck, he was walking down the street, a little four or five-year-old boy, and I rolled down my window, and I said, Hey, hey, what's your name? He stopped and looked at me. He said, Terry? I said, Hey, Terry. I said, uh, I'm Pastor Tim. I, I'm pastor over at the church over there. I said, Hey, Terry, uh, where do you stay? He said, Oh, I stay over there. I said, Terry, could you, could you get in the truck and show me where you stay? He said, Yeah. Would you get in the truck that... Anyway, so, <laughs> so anyhow, he jumps up in the truck. We go over there, and sure enough, guess what? He lives in a drug house. I looked at him as I pulled up in front of his house. I said, Terry, I said, what's your mama's name? He said, Cordelia. Tried not to show the shock on my face. Cordelia, guess what? She is a crackhead prostitute. She is like, oh, she is just cracked out missing teeth, her eyes are sunk back in her head, she's about this big around, walking skeleton, crack, meth and crack just eat you up from the inside out. And she's a crackhead prostitute. She caused all kind of trouble all over the neighborhood. People come to me saying, she's breaking in the house, we got to call the police and all that. So I'm working with narcotics trying to get her picked up, right? All this stuff going on. He says, Cordelia. I said, oh, okay. I said, all right. And I let him out. I go home, I said, Karen, I found out that little boy's name. His name's Terry. I said, but you ain't going to believe who his mama is. She said, who is he? I said, his mama is Cordelia. Karen looked at me, my wife. She looked at me and she said, go get him. He's got to get him in the school. You see, the school is not for Christian kids. We have a Christian school, but it's for kids that live in drug houses. She said, go get him. I said, no, Karen, that woman hates me. She said, Tim, go get him. So that's what I did. My wife and I, we have a 50-50 relationship. She tells me what to do, and I do it. <laughs> so I go over there. Can you all imagine this? I walk up to this crack house. Oh, my goodness. You ever like... Oh, man, these guys are sitting around there. I mean, there's drug dealing going on all the time. I go walking up in there. 
I'm shaking in my boots. I walk up in there and I knock on the door hoping she ain't home, right? She opens the door and there she is. What do you think? When she looked at me, oh my goodness, she looked at me like, are you out of your mind? She hates me. She opens the door and she looks at me and then she said, what do you want? I said, hi, Cordelia. I met your little boy, Terry. Man, he's a cool kid. I went home, I told my wife about it. I said, we, we was talking how, we decided we'd like to do something for Terry. She said, what? I said, yeah, we'd like to do something. I said, could I come in and talk to you about it? She stepped back and opened the door to let me walk in. I walk in, the smoke is so thick, it's burning my eyes and my nostrils. We sit down at a little table, and there's drug paraphernalia, whiskey bottle. I said, Cordelia, I said, you know we got a school over there for kids in the neighborhood. I said, it's a Christian school, and we're trying to teach them God's Word. We're trying to give them an opportunity to have a different kind of life. We were wondering if you would let us have Terry in our school. I look up, and this is the hardest woman I've ever met in my life, y'all. I promise you, the hardest woman. I look up, and tears begin to stream down her face. And she said, you want Terry? I said, yeah. She said, yes, he can be in your school because I don't want him to grow up to be like me. Do y'all think a crackhead prostitute would love her children? Things go well. Terry comes. He's there all the time, but then he would come home and he'd tell, I mean, he'd come to the school and he'd tell Karen what was going on at his house. Then she said, Tim, go see if she, we can bring him home with us. She ain't going to let him come home with us. Guess what? We take him home. We already had two other kids from the school staying with us at that time. Another Terry and, another, and his brother, his name was Alfredi. So now we got Terry, Terry, and Alfredi. Sound like a law firm or something. But y'all, we get to watch this little boy grow up. He goes home every now and then. One, one day he went home and he was at home over the weekend and he didn't show up on Monday morning. I was scared to death, so I tried to go over to check on him. And when I went over, there was crime scene tape and the cops were everywhere and they wouldn't let, let me even turn down his street. But I could see down the street and I saw a white sheet laying over a body in the street. And I'm going, no, no, no. And then I looked and I realized, oh, that's way too big to be Terry. So I went, went back to the school and I told my wife and she said, uh, she said, that's it. That's it. He had, uh, he had witnessed the murder. And she said, that's it. Um, uh, 
we're going to we're going to report and we're going to try to get custody so we go down to juvenile court we file papers trying to get custody of a little terry well there has to be a hearing i had to testify everything i knew about this woman and oh my his mama and oh my goodness she is sitting about about that far from where i was sitting having to testify against her everything i knew about her and oh my goodness she's looking at me like you are out of your mind. She, oh my goodness. I knew if she had an opportunity, if she had an opportunity, you know what she was going to do? She's going to blow my brains out. Well, the judge decides there was an elderly aunt and uncle that were also there. The judge decides to put Terry with them. They won't let us talk to him because they think we're the problem. So we lost contact with Terry. About a year, year and a half, we weren't allowed to talk to him, but at least we knew he was safe. Well, one day, my wife comes to my office, and uh, we hadn't seen Terry in about a year and a half. She comes to my office. She said, Tim, you've got to see who's out here. I said, who is it? She said, no, I want you to see this. I walked out of my office out into the little foyer area and as I walk out there there's this there's this woman standing there she has got on this I'll never forget this beautiful purple flowered dress and her hair is done and her makeup is done and I'm looking I'm going like I think I know that who, who is who is who do y'all think it was Cordelia and she immediately, when I walk out, she starts crying, and she comes over, and she gives me a great big hug. Y'all, the last time I saw this woman, I was afraid that she was going to kill me. Now, here she is, and she's crying, and then she says, Pastor Tim, Miss Karen, she said, my friend kept bugging me to go to church. I finally went to church with, the, with my friend, and she said, guess what happened? We said, what, Cordy? She said, I found Jesus. I said, what? She said, I found Jesus. And then I started going to church with her, and he changed my life. And I went into a drug rehab program. I've been in a residential program for almost a year. I graduated. Then she says, Pastor Tim, Miss Karen, I'm saved, and I'm clean. Y'all, it was like revival broke out right there in that little foyer. We, we jumping up and down, yelling, screaming. I know y'all looking at me saying, no, that big old, old fat old man did not jump. I promise you, I was getting up, y'all. I mean, I was. <laughs> revival broke out. And she's crying, and we're hugging. And then she said, would you pray for me? Because on Monday... I go before the judge to ask for Terry back. If y'all had told me that I would ever be praying that that woman would ever get that little boy back, I would have told you you're out of your mind. We stood there and we cried and we prayed. And she got him back. She had a good job. She clean, lived in out, out, just outside of the neighborhood, a nice apartment. Oh, my goodness. 
Well, she got him back, and then we were dying for him to come over. We ain't seen him in so long, so we said, how long should we wait? So we discussed it, and we decided we'd wait three days, because that's scripture. <laughs> so my wife calls Cordelia. She says, hey, Cordelia, we were just wondering. She stopped her in mid-sentence and said, yes, he's been bugging the tar out of me. He wants to come see y'all. Oh, my goodness. Y'all. Cordelia and my wife become best friends. They have Bible studies together. She becomes a pillar in her church. Most amazing thing. One day, Terry heard her yell and he went out and found her laying in the hallway and all those years of crack and meth and street life had caught up and she had a massive heart attack and uh, she's in heaven now I wish you could meet her one day you will she used to stand up in front of groups that would come in street reach and she would stand up and she'd give her testimony can y'all imagine and she'd always start off by saying hi my name is Cordelia. I was a crackhead prostitute when I found Jesus. Y'all, who gets to do this? As we close today, Oh, what a wonderful name that is. Where would you be without him? He used somebody to step into your life and bring him, his gospel, his word, his truth to you. And he saved you. Will you worship him? by sharing him with those who are hurting. If you have never given your heart and life to Jesus, that's what you give. Your heart and what? Your life. I don't know how much longer I got here. I don't know about you, but I'm getting older by the day. How much more time do you have? You might be a young person. I see these young people. Oh, well, I got my whole life. Really? How much longer? If you haven't given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, would you give your heart and life to him today? And just surrender and say, I'm yours. Forgive me for all that I've done. 
Lord, use me. Use my life to bring honor and glory to you. To take your word to hurting people. Would you give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ today? I'll never forget that day. When Cordelia said, I found Jesus. Oh, what a name that is. And maybe you've been a Christian for years and years and years, but you thought this was worship, and it is. This is worship. But today, the Lord is calling you to worship by getting involved in the lives of people who are hurting. And if you're not sure how to do that, I understand that. I didn't know either until somebody told me we're through praying. It's time to do something. What is God calling you to do today? We're going to have a time of invitation and we're going to allow you to respond to him. If he is calling, this altar is open. I, I have, this is my first day here, but I promise you, I know this altar is open for anybody who wants to come here and kneel before your Lord. Maybe that's the first step. To just say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it, but I know I'm yours and I'm offering my life today. Would you do that today? Would you respond to him and do what he tells you to do? Step out, get up, do something today. Thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. We hope you'll tune back in next time to the Light for Living podcast.